Well, good morning. If you would this morning, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm excited to uh, share with you this morning. I, uh, I love the opportunity of opening up God's Word and, and being able to just stand in front and talk about God's Word. It's, it's something that is just exciting to be able to do. Um, I will tell you this, though. I, I have this incredible fear every time that I get up here, and it's this, that my microphone's going to be on while I'm singing. Um, and that's just one of those things that, that I would never want to put on top of all of you. Uh, but uh, I just enjoy this opportunity. And so I was thinking about something yesterday as, as I was kind of processing through everything that's, that's going on and... Um, and what I want to talk about this morning and what Pastor Lowell talked about last week. And um, I was thinking about the idea that it really feels like we are created and we're made and that there's something inside of us that wants a goal in our lives. Like there's something inside of us that really, and maybe it's just me, but I don't think it is, but this idea that, that we really kind of want some sort of goal. So yesterday I had the opportunity to play with, uh, playing a golf tournament with, with a few of my friends and it was great to get out and golf. I hadn't played in a little while. Um, and, uh, what's interesting is we get together, we're sitting down, we're all practiced and ready and, and we're about to drive out and start playing our, in our little golf tournament as, as a team. And it's every time I do this. I have the same conversation with the person sitting in the cart with me, and it's this. Right before we ever get started, I say this statement. So what's our goal for today? Well, obviously the goal is to put the ball in the hole, right? Like, eventually you want to try to put the ball in the hole. You want to put the ball in the hole in as few shots as possible. But yet, in my mind, something about me says I need to assign a value to that. We want to get to six under, seven under, eight under, Two over, I, whatever. I, I want in my mind to be able to place a goal in front of me before we start playing. What's really weird is then, and I'm, I'm kind of figuring, I, I don't think it is just me, because I got home after playing and, and my three sons were hanging out at the house and they said, Dad, will you come outside and throw the football around with me? Sure. So I went outside. We're going to throw the football around. So we have a football out and we're throwing it around. But, but here's the thing. They didn't just want to throw a football around. Like it wasn't just let's throw a football back and forth because right when I got out there, we threw a football a couple of times and all of a sudden throwing the football around had to turn into some sort of a game. Like they, it wasn't okay that, the, that it was just let's throw it, but let's actually have some sort of goal in mind. Let's actually, and, and we've, We've created all sorts of games that you can play with four people and three of them being littler than me and that we play, created. But it's amazing how, and, and you see it happen all over the place. It's amazing how something inside of us says we don't just do kind of aimlessly. It feels like there should be a goal that's going on. Yeah, is there anybody getting what I'm saying here? Do you guys ever feel that too? I watch a group of guys hanging out at Faith Christian Academy and they're shooting ball in the gym, but the shooting basketball in the gym only lasts for a few minutes. Before long, there has to be some goal involved in shooting ball. 
And it isn't something that I believe is actually trained. I think we just kind of have it in us. I remember when my kids were a little bit younger and they played upward soccer. And when they were, I don't know, six years old playing upward soccer, basically with upward soccer at the church that we were playing at, and you've probably experienced this, they don't keep score. Right? It's for the little six-year-olds, they're out there running around. But here's what's interesting, what happened every single week. The game ended, we got in the car, and guess what my kids did? Told me the score of the game. <laughs> like, Dad, we won 12 to 6. We weren't keeping score. What are you talking about? They knew. You know why? Because right when the game started, it wasn't just about running around, kicking a soccer ball around. There was a goal in mind. And last week we learned about the command that we see in Matthew chapter 28, which pushes us towards a goal in our Christian life. It's interesting because we live most of our life with some sort of goal in mind, some sort of focus, something that as we go through life, whether it's playing sports or whether it's in our job or whatever it is, we live in a way that that says there has to be a goal, but yet I believe there's a lot of Christians out there who walk around in their Christian life aimlessly. I got saved, and now that I got saved, there's not really a purpose anymore. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, I guess I just kind of try to do the best that I can and, and I move along and, and I just live for a while here until finally I leave this place and I go to be with my Lord. But that seems rather useless. And God has told us, Jesus says very clearly that that's not what's supposed to be happening. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're made to have purpose. We're created that way. And being created that way, we've been specifically told, here's what the goal is. And if here's what the goal is, is actually stated there for us in scriptures, as believers in Jesus Christ, it's what we're to be all about. It's what's supposed to drive everything that we do. It's what our main focus is supposed to be. We need to be aware of this goal. So last week, Pastor Lowell showed you a, a little illustration with your hand, and so I want to go through it again because I think it's a neat way to think through this. And so we learned last week that the four Gospels and the book of Acts all give us a commission. We have often heard of something called the Great Commission. We learned about that last week. But the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts all give us some form of this Great Commission. And so I challenge you to see how well, if you were here last week, if you can remember this, you're going to be hearing about this over the next few weeks. So I thought this was an interesting way to try to remember it and try to understand something about it. So those of you who want to participate are welcome to do so. But your left hand, you can look at it if it helps you. I'm going to show it to you just so we understand. And this is basically the order in which these commissions, these great commissions were given. In John chapter 20, we have our first one. Mark chapter 16, second. Matthew 28, Luke 24, and Acts chapter 1. Now, I know that's not necessarily the easiest way to remember it, but we can see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And that is in order. 
That is the progression in which these great commissions were given. And it allows us to now kind of put them to memory. And there's a few things that we see from the time span that takes place across here is a span of 40 days. And we see these two here. These two happened in the first seven days after Jesus' resurrection. And these two here happened in the last seven days. Luke and Acts take place in the last seven days. These two happened in Jerusalem. These two happened in Jerusalem. And this one was in Galilee. But it's one of those that I encourage you to just to kind of try to remember these and think through them. Last week, we camped right here in Matthew chapter 28. And Matthew 28 gives us our goal. Somebody say it out loud for me. What's our goal? This is the part where the audience can be included. Oh my, did we not, did nobody listen last week? Matthew 28, our goal is make disciples. We are commanded in Matthew 28 to make disciples. And if you remember, Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And he tells us, he tells the disciples, you need to, while you are going, your goal, your command is, you need to make disciples. That's what you're supposed to be a part of doing. Honestly, that's what we're supposed to be a part of doing. That's our goal. Ultimately, what we want to see happen is, we want to see disciples made that can make other disciples. The ultimate goal is really, I make disciples so that they can make disciples. That's what we want to see happen. We want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to see people baptized. We want to see people taught. And then they can go and make more disciples while we continue to make disciples. Here's the thing. That's what we are all called to. We are all called to that in our Christian walk. What's interesting in that passage is Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, but he doesn't really tell us a lot about how. In Matthew 28, he says, you're going to be going somewhere, so here's what I want you to do, make disciples. That's a little bit vague as to an explanation. It, it isn't really clarifying exactly how that's supposed to happen, what it's supposed to look like. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? How do I go about making these disciples that you're telling me to make? Fortunately, we have some other passages. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and I want to read a section for you today out of Luke 24, and here's what we're going to see, where Matthew 28 tells us the goal of making disciples, or commanded to make disciples. Luke 24 actually gives us the message that we are supposed to be saying. Luke 24 helps us with what's supposed to be our message when we make disciples. So here we go, Luke chapter 24. We're near the end of, we're right at the end of the book here. We're going to start reading in verse 36. We're going to read from verse 36 to 49. Luke 24. 
as they, this is the disciples, and possibly some others, but we're pretty sure 11 disciples here, and maybe a few more. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's take a minute and pray before we unpack this passage of scripture. God, we thank you that you love us enough to send your son to die for us. God, I thank you that we can spend time today studying your word. I pray that your word would be so clear in our hearts and minds. I pray that you would just allow us to recognize this command you've given us, what we're supposed to be a part of, and God, may our lives show that we understand this and we are living this. God, may this be a sweet time of worshiping you as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus appears to the disciples. But here's the crazy thing. They're hanging out. They're talking. I want you to try to picture this in your mind. They're hanging out and they're talking. And as they're hanging out together, there's a group of them. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus appears in front of them. To the point that when they see him, it tells us here in Luke 24 that they're afraid. Essentially, my ver- the ESV says they, they, they are afraid that they, they think they've seen a spirit. In reality, they think they're looking at a ghost. They, they just don't get it. They're, they're so, they're, they're startled, they're frightened, and they're pretty sure they're seeing a ghost right now. And so Jesus tries to clarify a few, a few things for them. He tries to make it pretty clear. Listen, I, I, this is, I'm not a ghost. Okay, I have been resurrected. I'm in a different body. I'm in my resurrection body right now. And so it, it might seem a little bit weird, but this isn't a ghost. And he does it in a couple of different ways. The first thing he does is notice, he's like, listen, take a look. And if you look in, uh, if you look in verse 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. This isn't a ghost. You can see my hands and my feet. And he even says to them, you're even willing to touch it. Understand a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. Take a look. It's right here. 
You know what, should, what happened to me. You know what just took place a, a few weeks ago and you can see what, what's happened and look at my hands and my feet. Touch me if you want. The issue was that didn't necessarily convince them. They were a little bit, still a little bit confused. Luke throws out a very uh, an interesting phrase in this, in verse 40, he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 41, he says, and while they still disbelieved for joy. It's an interesting way to say something. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Basically, it uses the idea that in some way, they had some joy in their life, but they were still struggling with disbelief. Like there's this idea that, okay, I see his hands and his feet. I see what's going on. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at a ghost, but somehow this ghost seems to have some sort of body that he would even allow me to touch him. I'm not really sure what to do with this. It's kind of the idea that they were starting to believe, but in their minds, they were saying, this is, this has, this is too good to be true. This, this can't really be true. This, this can't actually be. And so Jesus goes a step farther and he says, do you guys have anything to eat? Let me try to clarify it just so, like, in case you're still struggling, um, I can see that you're, you're kind of excited, but you can't get your head around. I'm not a ghost, so maybe I'll help you out and, and I will eat something. So they gave him some fish. And the Bible tells us that he ate it there in front of him. He wasn't hungry. Okay, that's not really the issue. It isn't a matter of, I, I, man, my stomach's starting to grumble and I don't know what to say while I do that. I'm distracted by my hunger. No, he just wanted to show him, would a ghost be standing in front of you eating? Well, no, that wouldn't really be the case. And so he ate there in front of him. And then verse 44, he starts to actually speak about where, where he wants to go and get them to understand a few things. So in verse 44, he says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. The phrase, while I was still with you, he's, he's referring back to his pre-resurrection body, back to while he was on this earth before he crucified. He's been spending time for years with these guys. Many of these guys, he spent multiple years with them and he's been teaching them. He's been showing them. He's been pointing back to the Old Testament and he's been trying to get them to understand something for a long time. He says, these are the things that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Law of Moses, prophets and Psalms are just a way that they would have broken down the Hebrew Bible. This basically is a way that Jesus is saying, I've been telling you about this. The, the entire Old Testament has been pointing to me. The entire Old Testament, it's been pointing to this one that you guys call the Messiah, all the way through it, it keeps saying this Messiah is going to come, this Messiah is going to come. And it tells us all about this Messiah throughout the entire Old Testament. And the entire time I was with you, I've been teaching you about this stuff. I've been pointing you back to the Old Testament. I've been explaining to you what must happen to me. I've told you multiple times, I have to die. I've told you about it and told you about it and told you about it. And the Old Testament pointed to it, pointed to it. And you guys know the Old Testament. And it keeps pointing to it. And then a really interesting thing happens in verse 45. Take a look at what verse 45 says. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's kind of like the disciples were sitting there and their minds were just locked up on this. 
They had heard it so many times, but yet for some reason, they couldn't find that one piece that connects everything. Have you ever had this feeling before? Have you ever had that, that feeling that, that you've heard a number of things and a, a bunch of pieces and, and stuff is being put together, but there's this one piece, this one idea, this one statement that you just can't wrap your head around and it is keeping you from grasping all of what's going on. And Jesus finally, he unlocks this piece and he opens up their minds and I can just imagine the disciples. You imagine this concept that all of a sudden, all of these Old Testament passages that they had memorized, all these things from the Old Testament that they knew, all the things that they can remember sitting with Jesus, and he's been teaching them and teaching them and teaching them, and just like that, they got it. They finally get it. They finally recognize this is him. This is that guy. Every time the Old Testament said the Messiah, this is him. Every time he pointed about the fact that he is the Christ and he must die, this is the one. He's the guy. He's the savior of all. And they finally get it. Man, what an awesome experience that must have been. What an awesome thing for them to be able to experience. Now, I don't, I'm not going to say it happened in the same way, but here's the deal. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then at some point in time in your life, you got it too. At some point in time in your life, it connected in your mind and you got it also. And you recognize that this one that we read about in scripture, this one they call Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all of this stuff that the Old Testament said had to happen. And maybe you didn't know all of the Old Testament stuff. Maybe you didn't realize that. But you recognize this idea that this one is the one who is Lord and Savior of all. And at some point in time, you got it. Man, what an awesome time that is. But here's the deal. That's not the end. That's not it. Just getting it and accepting him as my personal Lord and Savior and understanding that that's not it. If that were it, guess what would have happened right after you got saved? You'd be gone and I'd be preaching to empty chairs. Actually, I hope I'd be gone too. Right? Like, if that were it, why are we here? If, if just getting it's the main piece, then this whole scenario that we're a part of doesn't make any sense. It's not it. And Jesus doesn't stop there at verse 45. He keeps going. And verse 46, 47, and 48 give us the great commission in Luke 24. So let's take a quick look at this. Here is the message of the Great Commission. He says, and, said, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day raise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in, the name, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. So my goal is to make disciples. 
But if I'm going to make disciples, I kind of need to know how to do that. I kind of need to know what I'm supposed to be a part of. How do I do that? And so here Jesus says, let me give you the message that needs to be proclaimed. And he's talking to this group of disciples that are in this room that just thought they saw a ghost. Finally, they put together all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament, all the stuff that Jesus has been telling them. And he says, now you need to make disciples and here's what you need to say. Christ is gonna suffer and die. He rose from the dead after three days. And repentance and forgiveness of sin is found in his name. You know what we call that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus says, let me tell you the message that needs to be proclaimed. The message that needs to be proclaimed is the gospel. Christ died, was buried, rose again, and he did all of this so that sinners could come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. And here's the deal. We talk about something like the gospel, and we talk about this message that in our minds, I'm going to bet for most of us, is so simple because we've heard it so many times. Like really, Pastor Brock, you're going to stand up here in front of us, and you're going to talk to me about the gospel? We get it. I got this when I was six years old or 10, or 20, or 30, or X number of years ago. It doesn't really matter. And we, we look at this thing called the gospel, which is so foundational to who we are and what we are, and we oftentimes overlook it because in our minds, we feel that it's so basic because we've heard it so many times, because it's been such a part of our life for such a long time, and what we don't realize is the gospel is everything about who we are all the time. It is the message, the heart, the all of what our goal is. I cannot make disciples without the gospel. It just doesn't work. The message is essential. Do I understand, do I recognize the excitement that should come over me when I think through the idea that Jesus died, suffered and died for you and me? That Jesus rose from the grave for you and I? That Jesus did all of this for the sake of saving a whole bunch of sinful people who chose to walk away from him and not have a relationship with him. The gospel should drive everything I do every day because it's the lead piece in the goal. It's the gospel. I think it's interesting that as I look at this and I think through... Um, this picture that is being laid out here and Jesus reminding them and reminding us exactly of what's going on. Matthew 28 didn't give me the message. Matthew 28 gave me the goal. Then in Luke, Luke 24, this message is laid out for me. But I must understand that the gospel is the most essential piece of all of what's going on in my life. And then he says... 
You're going to proclaim this to all nations, and you're going to start here in Jerusalem. That's where they are. They're in Jerusalem. By the way, just a real quick side note with that. If I were you, I would start wherever you are too. Okay, like if you're proclaiming it, just start where you are. That's, that's kind of what's supposed to happen. I start where I am in proclaiming the gospel, and guess what happens? The gospel has this tendency to spread. That's just the way it works. 2,000 years ago, a group of people were told, start here in Jerusalem and, and share the gospel. And guess what happened? It's all the way around the globe now. But there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be done with it. And so your job, let's take this gospel and let's start spreading it. But he says... In verse 49, he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So stay in the city until you are clothed with the power on high. Here's the great thing. Jesus says, here's the gospel. Here's the message. Here's what has to be a part of you making disciples. Here's what you need to say. Here's what you need to be a part of. But understand, I'm not going to leave you to do it alone. And he says, The promise of the Father is coming. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. Acts tells us that what he's speaking of here is the Holy Spirit. And he tells him, just wait. Hang out here in Jerusalem just for a little bit longer. Trust me, the Holy Spirit is coming. And in Acts chapter 2, what do we see happen? Oh man, what an awesome day happens in Acts chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Acts chapter 2, I encourage you, mark that passage of scripture in your mind. Become familiar with it. Go home and read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is an incredible day. It's known as the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and permanently indwells believers for the first time. Oh man, what an awesome day. And the immediate reaction to the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling believers, we see thousands of people come to know the Lord. Oh my, how awesome must that have been as the gospel is being shared, the gospel is being spread. I look at this passage of scripture and when I look at it, three things pop into my head that I just want to cover real quick and then we'll be done, but I want to challenge you with these three things. When I see that I have a goal and I've been charged and challenged and commanded to do something and there is a message that Jesus gives in that goal, number one, if there's a message then me making disciples requires me to say something. You might say, well, duh. Well, maybe not. We need to recognize that even though I am commanded to live in obedience to Jesus Christ and his word, and I am commanded to live my life right, I am not making disciples if I never open my mouth and share the gospel with somebody. It cannot work that way. I cannot go through my life and say, well, listen, my the, the unbelievers at my workplace, they're going to see the difference in me by the way I do my work. They're going to see how good of a person I am by the way I live, and they're going to see this and that. And we expect that, that just me living well 
is an okay piece for me to actually be sharing the gospel. And it is not true. Believers, you are called to share the gospel. It is not just about living. I'm sorry, that is a cop-out, and we need to stop. It's not just I go live and hope someone finds the gospel on their own. My role is to share it. Jesus commissioned me to it. He commissioned you to it. Number two. So number one, if there's a message, then I really need to say something. It must include me speaking. Number two, if the gospel is the message that will bring salvation, that will bring people into relationship with the Lord, then I need to stop spending so much time talking about other stuff. I don't mean, listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a little bit of casual conversation with people. But I'm not going to lead my coworker, my family member, my friend, my whatever to Christ by arguing with them about social issues. I'm not going to lead them to Christ by arguing with them about political views. I'm not going to lead them to Christ by only discussing sports games. If the gospel is the message, if it's the thing that is key in all of this, if it is the way I make disciples, then why does such a small percentage of my conversation actually include it? And, and let's call it like it is. We, we respond to that. Not, I respond to that with stuff like, well, it never seems to come up. Never seems to come up? If we had time, I could call Pastor Billy up here and I could just start saying random conversation things to him and I guarantee you he could take every single thing I said and convert it to the gospel. Think you could be challenged with that, Pastor Billy? After church, just go start saying random things. Pastor Billy will convert every one of them to the gospel for you. All right? He'll be over in the corner. Talk to him later. Okay? Let's call it like it is. If we want to, every conversation can lead to the gospel. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't want it to. I don't know why. Maybe we're not on commission. Maybe we're not on command. We're not grasping the goal. We don't understand the greatness of what Jesus did in our lives. We don't love that person enough. Maybe it's been too long and we've forgotten the awesome experience, the greatness of that our mind being open and understanding this is the guy. This is the one that can save me. This is the one that loved me enough to die for me. It's what I'm commanded to do. So if it's really the message that is of most value, I got to spend a lot less time talking about other stuff and a lot more time talking about it. And number three, if the gospel is really that message, I must know it. I have to know a way to tell people about it. I have to have something that whenever I choose to turn this conversation, whenever this conversation seems to show up, whenever in some way it becomes something spiritual and hopefully I'm the one that's directing that, I have to be able to clearly present 
what Luke 24 just presented. Memorize Luke 24 if you want to. That's a great way to present it. It's pretty clear. The Christ must suffer and die, be raised again after three days. This is how repentance and forgiveness of sin comes about. It's right there. You've probably all heard a whole bunch of different methods. We have something known as the Romans road to evangelism. It takes you through a number of passages in the book of Romans. We have something known as the ABCs of evangelism. Talking through, we admit, we believe, we confess. And it takes us through different passages of scripture that point us, that is the gospel. Pastor Billy spent a number of weeks showing us the three circle method of evangelism. And it takes people from where they are right now through the gospel to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If the gospel is really the message, I have to be confident in it. It's unfair. It's not right. It just doesn't make sense that any believer would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. No, I don't share the gospel. No, I don't tell other people about it because I just don't really feel confident in what I'm going to say. It's right here. It's your job to know what to say. We're commanded to go and make disciples. And if I'm commanded to do it, it's my job to know how to do it. Or else I wouldn't have been commanded. It would have more or less just been a suggestion. So I challenge you, are we making disciples? Is it a part of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ? If it isn't, we're missing the goal. By the way, here's the great thing about this goal. It comes with joy. It comes with peace. It comes with hope. It comes with excitement. It comes, I mean, the, the experience of seeing somebody go from death to life. The incredible aspect that that has with it. And now the opportunity that this new infant believer wants to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And you can teach them and show them how to. Oh man, what an exciting experience. Are we making disciples? Because we're called to. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve him, the opportunity that we have to love him. Thank you for his faithfulness, your faithfulness to us in loving us. We thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you that you've given this to us and you've, you've taken care of our relationship with you. And God, I just pray that we would now choose to obey this command of making disciples. May we be confident in your word. May we be bold in going into our world. And while we're going, may we be making disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.